welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks. Hello. And we are in Genesis chapter 14. Yes, we are. with the story of Avram. That's right. And you said Avram this time rather than Avram. We've come so far. I know. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to read it. But before we start, just know there's a bunch of names. So I'm giving my translations of the names as per usual. Um, and some of them are unknown, uh, as in I did a bunch of research and couldn't find convincing conclusive evidence. And so I'm leaving it at unknown, but it doesn't mean like unknown. Okay. Like it's, yeah. Okay, cool. So scroll of Bereshit, Genesis chapter 14. It was in the days of Amraphel, kinsman healer, king of Shin'ar, Arioch, servant of the moon god, king of Elasar, Gedar la Omer, servant of Lagamaru, no mercy, king of Elam, and Tidal, unknown, king of nations. They made war with Bera in violence, king of Stom, and with Birsha in guilt, king of Amora. Shinav, my father is the moon god, king of Adma, and Shemavar, my father soars, king of Tzavim, and king Bela, devouring, that is Tzoar. All these joined together in the valley of fields, that is the sea of salt. Twelve years they served Kedat la Omer, and the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedar la Omer and all the kings that were with him came. They struck the healers in Ashtrot Karnaim, lady who tramples the sea of the horns, those who moved in heat, and the terrors of the flat towns, and the cave people of the shaggy mountain, until they reached a great gleaming tree that is over the desert. They turned back. They came to the eye of legal judgment, that is, holiness. They struck all the fields of the Amaleki, the people who lick, and also the Amori, people of the pasture, who settled in Chatzon Tamar, divided date palm. The king of Stom, the king of Amora, the king of Adma, the king of Tzivim, and the king of Bela, that is, Tzoar, left. They prepared for battle in the valley of fields with Kadarla Omer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of the nations, and Amraphel, king of Shin'ar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings with five. The valley of fields had pits and pits of pitch. The king of Sdom and Amora fled. They fell there. Their survivors fled to the mountains. They took all the possessions of Sdom and Amora and all their food. They walked. They took Lot and his possessions, son of the brother of Avram. They walked, for he had settled in Sdom. A refugee came. He told to Avram, the one who crosses over. He had sat down by the great tree of the place of visions of the Amori, the brother of Eshkol, Cluster, and the brother Anir, Anun. They were lords of a cut agreement of Avram. Avram shamad that his brother had been taken captive. He emptied out his 318 dedicated men born in his house. He pursued them until Dan, subjugating judgment. He divided upon them by night. 
he and his servants struck them. They pursued them until Chova, hiding place, that is left of Damask, unknown. He returned all the possessions and also Lot, his brother, and his possessions. He also brought back the women and the people. The king of Stom called to him after his return from the striking of Kadar la Omer and the kings that were with him at Flat Valley, that is, the valley of the king. And Malkit Sedek, my, my king is justice. King of Salem, peace, brought out bread and wine. He was an opulent delegate to God above. He knelt and blessed him. He said, Blessed be Avram to God above, purchaser of heaven and earth. Blessed be God above who shielded you from those who would bind you into your hand. He gave him from a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Avram, Give the soul to me, but the possessions take to yourself. Avram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh, God above, purchaser of heaven and earth. If I take from a thread to a fastener of a sandal, from all that is to me, you would say, I have enriched Avram. Except only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who walked with me, and their eshkol, and the place of visions, they will take their portion. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Okay, so it's a lot there this time. A lot there, a lot of of names specifically, um, which you know, for something that's not a genealogy, I know. Yeah, it was a lot, a of, lot of work. Yeah. So, and and what's kind of your method here? We have a lot of names, yes, but there's it's different kinds of names, right? Mm-hmm. We have names of people, um, places, like individuals. Uh, we have people groups, we have places, right? right? So, and um, so how did you kind of decide through that and decide what you wanted to do there? Right. So um, for names, um, for names, I would translate what they mean. And sometimes that's taking from the Akkadian and not mm-hmm. from the Hebrew okay. um, or sometimes other languages. But um and then the places, I have little notes to myself what they mean um, off to the side here. So like Shin'ar is the ancient Hebrew name for Sumer. Okay. Um, for instance, Elisar is probably the city-state Larsa, which is in Sumer, um, etc. Et Emer or Elams, excuse me, is um, east of Sumer in southern Iran. So I didn't. I didn't translate those because they're not Hebrew words Mm. um, and they're not necessarily languages also that I'm excellent at, um, like Sumerian. Um, And so I left those places that are just the place names of places in um, Western Asia. I left those untranslated, but I did do the names because we do know what most of those names mean. Um, Right. And then when it got to, there's that odd section. I decided because all of those words um, have so much imagery to them. Yeah. I mean, it says they struck the Raphaim. So you can decide for yourselves. This is after it says in the 14th year, and the kings who were with him came. They struck the Raphaim is what translations usually say. So the word Rafa is what we get Rufus and Raphael from. And it just means healer. So it just means the healers. 
So it's wow. totally possible that it's a people group who happen to be known for their healing ability. Right. Right. But I just went with the healers because that's what it means. Right. So in that section, um, you know, they're often not names are usually a couple different particles smushed together, right? Like my father sores yeah. or um, in guilt or in violence. These are just Hebrew words. Um, right. And then except for Ashtrot Karnaim, which is a really cool one that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like, uh, and this is section is verses five and six specifically. Right. And um, yeah, that I'll just read the ESV so mm-hmm. you can kind of get a comparison. Uh, actually, I'll read yours first, and then I'll read the ESV. Okay. So it says, they struck the healers in Ashtrot Karnaim, lady who tramples the sea of the horns, those who moved in heat and the terrors of the flat towns and the cave people of Shaggy Mountain until a great gleaming tree that is over the desert. Until they reached a great gleaming tree, yeah. Yeah, and the ESV, uh, in comparison, says, the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim, in Ashtarot Karnaim, mm-hmm. the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shaveh Kiriathaim, <laughs> yep. and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as Al Paran on the border of the wilderness. Right. So my problem with doing that is it makes it, which is totally possible, they could just be a whole bunch of distinct people groups who yeah. have the name Terror, but you also totally lose the point that they're the healers, you know, if you stick right. with Raphaim. And it makes it seem like it's a name rather than just an entity if you right. call them Raphaim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and the terrors of the flat towns is, is almost more describing them than... Right. I uh, doubt that they named themselves terrors. Right. I Unlikely. can imagine a tribe naming themselves healers, but terrors, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cave people of the Shaggy Mountain. Right get a more sketch yeah uh, yeah the, the shaggy mountain boys <laughs> that's right so yeah okay good to know i was curious you know as i was reading through these and looking at the different names and, and just curious about methodology. Your, your methodology yeah so let's look at a couple of these names i'm Excellent. Uh, i broke this uh chapter into three sections again okay so our our first section is verses one through ten um and Right off the bat, we have the string of names that are going to be throughout this entire chapter. Right. Um, Going on forever. Yeah. And they're interesting names with interesting meanings. Um, Yeah. Um, So according to who you listen to and what their agenda is, of course, um, a variety of people, um, Jewish encyclopedia, Catholic encyclopedia, which are pretty good. I mean, their main mainstream Mm -hmm. kind of academic books both claim that this battle is a real battle um which is you know historical um grounded in the timeline they put it um at 1800 bce or bc um and the case that they can make for that is relatively compelling um we think that amrafel is the hebrew name for hammurabi just fascinating kind of the big player right but king of um sumer you know interesting it yeah. would overlap at that time yeah, i was reading some midrash that connected it, it him to nimrod mm-hmm. well interesting. they might connect nimrod to uh to hammurabi okay um 
And there's various city states also fall within that timeline. Um, we know that there was a battle that involved these different players. And so that's intriguing yeah. if that floats your boat. Um, and so all of these places like King of the Nations, this the word goyim, if you're familiar with the Jewish community, mm-hmm. um, which just means nations, but it's actually specifically at this time was used to describe the Hittites because they're a big aggregate of um, people up in Turkey. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's super interesting. Tidal is probably Dudalia, um, who is also f- from Turkey. Okay, and that's one of your unknown yeah, I could not find a good etymology for Tudalia. Okay. Okay. Alas. Um, but you know, we know where Elam is and et cetera. So pretty interesting. And then I also think, you know, it's fascinating in the Hebrew, except for kinsman healer, which is nice. Um, almost all these guys have pretty blatantly straightforward quote unquote bad guy names, right? Servant of Lagarmu, who's a deity but means no mercy. Mm-hmm. Um violence, guilt. My father is the moon god, Sheen. Right. Well et servant of the moon god also with Ari- Right. Which wasn't didn't we talk a little bit about the moon god back with mm-hmm. uh, specifically Nimrod and the and Babel. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. So interesting that there's a kind of a continuation It's of, a big deal God. Yeah. Well and we kind of talked about uh, uh, the the fun section is what I have in my notes. <laughs> Labeled as the striking the healers that section. They, yeah, they strike the healers, um, which it is fun to read through, right? It's it's a it's a a bit wild. It's more uh, image laden certainly than just a bunch of random transliterations. Well, yeah, and I do appreciate that about that because you can kind of get start to get an idea of what this land looks like from that description. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I want to talk about the Ashtrot Karnamim. Um, yeah. So Ashtrot is just how you make plural in Asherah. Okay, sure. As right. in Baal and Asherah. Um, and in Ugaritic, the full name of Asherah is Atirat um, Rabat Arat Yam. And... Um, Mouthful. Yeah. <clears throat> the vowels are even more playful than they are in Hebrew because we're not sure how things are pronounced. Okay. So it's actually easier because you can just roll with it most yeah, of the time. Right. People can argue with you because we don't know. Sure. Um, okay. So in Ukraitic, um, it's the, an Asherah is a lady who tramples the sea, which is fascinating in juxtaposition to God later in Tanakh when they're setting up all of these high places and constantly worshiping the Ashtarot because the sea or Yam is this god of chaos mm. embodied in, you know, the ocean. It's very scary. So she is presented as someone who brings order to chaos, trampling the sea. And then Karnaim, a Karen, uh, means horn horn in Hebrew. Okay. And so it's not that it's a sea of horns. It's kind of a mid-place modifier. Um, but she's kind of a lady of the horns who tramples the sea, but that would mess up the syntax. Okay. So she has horns in this, which are big symbols of strength, right? We talked about El, our word for God comes from Il, um, which means twisted together, which is where we get our word for big, cool tree and ram and everything Mm. else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a strength thing, not a Satan thing. Yeah. A medieval Satan thing. Yeah. And and interesting, you know, like uh, you kind of mentioned the contrast with 
God, and it is mm-hmm. a, a contrast with the character of God, who who tends to do things more through words, right? Right. He hovers over the face of the sea, and right. then he speaks right. rather than trampling it. Right. And we have that with uh, Jesus also calming the sea with his words. Right. right. So we there's that Sky Jathani quote that talks about different religions, and he says that it's not so much that they start in different places and end up at the same place, but rather they start in the same place, which is there's chaos in the world, and mm-hmm. this is a problem. And then they climb different mountains to talk about uh, what are the solutions to that, and God's solution is speaking, right? Um, using power that way, and Asherah's is trampling. Yeah, well, and we have the valley of fields which had pits and pits of pitch mm-hmm. um which you know is kind of a a, a noah callback right i would think right and it, it, is this assumed then that this pitch is kind of the same type of pitch that we would see with um was it bitumen uh-huh yeah, yeah and that's used first where it's actually in the tower of Babel story that's oh, what sure, they use the with their white brick uh-huh. yeah so um and that was on the plain of Shinar as well so you know near where the tower of Babel once was right maybe where this all the valley of fields it's supposedly near the dead sea so scratch that right it's just lots of pitch lying around i guess yeah well and we kind of have another I feel like probably call to the uh, Dead Sea with the Sea of Salt, right? Yes, Valley yes. Fields, that is the Sea of Salt. That's what that is for sure. Yeah. So uh, fun in that we are kind of, this is kind of our real first look at Israel, right? It mm-hmm. is in this passage, right? Before we have Avram being told by God that this is going to be the land, but we don't really have descriptions of it. Right. We have the Yarden, the the river, right. Jordan. Right. Um, but here we're actually starting to see some geography right. uh, brought in here, uh, which I think is cool. For sure. Um, yeah. You can try to decide which mountains they fled to and such. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So my second section... Okay. If you don't have anything else in here that you want to talk about. I, oh, yeah. The Amalekites. So Amaleki is it the people who lick. Um, oh, yeah. There's, uh-huh. I don't know if you ran across Midrash for that, but uh, the rabbis postulate that they lick blood. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I don't know what they're actually licking, but um, alas. I also have no idea what divided date palm means. Like, was it struck by lightning and just chilling in half or something? Maybe. No idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, people who lick. I've saw blocks. I don't know. <laughs> They're enemies. So they say hello. It sounds like a B-level action movie, but... <laughs> All right, here we go. Section number two. All right, section two, verses 11 through 16. Um this double repetition of they walked is interesting, kind of surrounding yeah. Lot. Um, little mini chiasm. Little mini chiasm. Um, just pointing out, oh, yeah, and they took Lot, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget about that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I really wanted to ask about is this refugee, um, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, it's just, it's just a random dude, I would assume. Right. I it, guess who yeah. had heard of Avram and knew where he was from. Yeah, so I'm kind of guessing. Right. I'm thinking that he's probably from Lot's household, like sure. a servant or something, because otherwise, how would he know where he was? Yeah. 
The Midrash that I found on this said that it was a servant of Avram, which I don't know why he's there then, maybe servant of Avram loosely in that he's hmm. a servant of Lot. Hmm. Uh, but they give him a name, uh, which is Oni, and I don't know what Oni means. I'm going to have to see it spelled. O-N-I. <laughs> in Hebrew. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so they, they give him some significance that's not quite evident in the text, but... Um, Depending on which O they use, it could be oppressed one. Right. Um, but you have here that he told Avram, the one who crosses over. Right. Yeah, so tell me about... The one who crosses the over? The one who crosses over. Okay, this is where we get the word Hebrew from. Mm-hmm. Hebrew, uh, technically all my students are learning the language of Ivrit, Um Ever is the word for to cross over, and you would use it for someone walking across the desert or somebody crossing a river. And so it's fascinating because previously God told Avram, you're going to walk all over this land, everything that you walk on, I'm going to give to you. And so evidently he's been doing that, and he's gained a reputation um, as this bro walking around. Um, And so this title and the word Hebrew gets used for the first time to identify this people which is pretty cool. Okay. Well, and I find it interesting, too, that you have here these uh, three people that are mentioned as having a agreement with Avram. It's either two people okay, or three, depending on uh, how, how you it. want to trans... Uh, yeah, we can talk about it. Okay, so let's do that. So it says the great tree of the place of visions. So you're used to the word great tree by now. Right, yeah. And the this is Mamra, which I think people compl- conflate with Mora sometimes because they both start with M. Hmm. Um, but before we had oh, the okay. great tree yeah. of teaching, and now we have this great tree of the place of visions. So the word Mara um, with an Aleph at the end, not a hey, like Naomi changes her name. Mara with an Aleph at the end um, means vision. It can also mean mirror. I find it more likely that it's a place of visions than a place of mirrors. But, you know, maybe it has carnival vibes. Yeah, or maybe, you know, they kind of associate the two based on the ways mirrors were. Right. Right. I mean, it totally makes sense. But again, I think we're seeing this mythical use of these trees trees are important because they reach up high which means they're extending into god's realm because Mm. god's realm is imagined to be in the air and so they're reaching up they're these spiritual places of connection to this other world and so that's why they're always used um, as spiritual places and we see this in the archaeology that they're these sacred sites Um, and so it's extremely probable to me that this is a place that you go to have visions. Maybe there's, you know, some hallucinogenic plants around. That doesn't mean that Avram was participating in any of that. Maybe he was just hanging out with his bros, but yeah, they're lords of a cut agreement. And I thought that was fascinating. We've taken that out. Um, they make it like an alliance, but it's the word Brit that they always translate covenant, but they don't, apparently translators don't want us knowing that he made covenants with anybody, but God, (laughs) so they change it to alliance, which is wild. Yeah. So, So, yeah, I mean, going back to how many people there are, I see that as the great tree of the place of visions. And it would be weird to me if a guy was known as the place of visions. Um, But that's up to 
preference, I guess. Okay. Um, and then we have this return of Shemad, which yes. I, I think is always interesting when this comes back. Right. It's easier to see with this, keeping but, it with the Hebrew, right? Mm. Uh, it stands out a little bit more clearly than just, um, you know, like the ESV says, when Avram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, which you kind of just gloss over. Right. Um, but given the context of Shema and how it's used gives us a, a stronger meaning yeah, behind it. It's right? heard and obeyed, which right. doesn't work in English. You can't say he obeyed that his brother had been taken captive right. unless you're going to really mess with the sentence. Right. So I, I like that. Um, I've been appreciating that each time it comes up. Um, and then the next line here is also intriguing. He emptied out his 318 dedicated men born in his house. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a lot of that's a lot of bros <laughs> who are dedicated. It's a lot of bros. So I mean, uh, I did look at some midrash for this. Uh, oh, did he come across the Eliezer stuff? I did come across the Eliezer. That's some of my favorites. Yeah. Do so it. I wanted to to pause on those real quick and just kind of look at these because it is. Um, uh, a unique interpretation, I feel like, of this passage. Uh, and it hinges upon, it seems like, the fact that it says right after this line, he pursued until Dan. Mm. And they say, if it's he pursued until Dan, uh-huh. then what about these 318 men? Shouldn't it say Where did they, they go? pursued yeah. until Dan? Um, and so taking that, they say, they connect it in another way as well, which we'll get to, but they say, uh, this is Ayn Yaakov uh, Nedarim 312, 318 men. Uh, Rabbi Ami said that Eliezer equaled them all. According to others, the above number refers to Eliezer himself for the numerical value of Eliezer amounts to 318. Um, and so they're taking the numerical values assigned to each of the letters right which is called gematria right and using those uh, and they equal out to 318 right um and so they say that that there's a connection right there um but i also found this other midrash which is interesting because it it does start with the 318 and it kind of uh has a whittling down just to a single person Mm, so here's what it says another interpretation of genesis 14 14 he armed his trained men. He armed, yarech, means nothing but that he made them turn pale, horich, with words, just as it is written in the law in Deuteronomy 28. Who is the one who is afraid, yare, and faint, rach, of heart? Avram did this. He said to them, we are going off to war. Let anyone who has transgressions on his hand and is afraid because of his actions not go off with us. When they heard that, anyone who knew in his heart that he had sinned was afraid and did not go off. Well, now everybody else knows. Um, yeah. So they went back, and no one was left with him, Avraham, <laughs> but Eliezer alone. In that hour, the Holy One said, All have forsaken you, and no one is left except Eliezer alone. By your life, I am putting within him the power of 318. Dope. Thus it is stated, he armed his trained men, the ones born in his house, 318 of them. Whereas it's shown, the numerical value of Eliezer by Gematria is 318. You know, on a purely human level, I love 
this midrash because I want to see the movie like the 300 style. Right. No, just Avram and Eliates are beating a path through yeah. these nine armies yeah. to get to the one that they're rescuing. I think it's quite excellent. Um, however, I don't normally like to play around that much with Gematria. I believe that it comes into play later in rabbinical techniques mm. um, of interpretation uh but even so quite a coincidence right i mean the rabbis are a little bit famous for tweaking things um to make them fit out just just perfect for their ends um so not always Hmm. not always super uh super helpful but it doesn't come into play i just double checked until 200 ce so for me a big distance it's a big distance from the original storytellers right. um but i mean i'm perfectly happy to imagine afram and elliot's are right. beating the path right it's, it's great okay well we have in this section two words that you you have it translate we have an air uh, mm-hmm. could not find could not find something for yeah. on there and Tragedy. we have uh Demesek, which that's just is Damascus. Damascus, right? Yes. So is Damascus kind of a word also that we don't know anything about? Well, I spent a lot of time, probably yeah. too much time on this. So the word Damascus, as far as we know, it seems from the oldest thing that I could find, is from a transliteration of the letters T-M-S-Q in hieroglyphs. Wow. Hieroglyphs. All right. It's a challenge. It's late at night. Um, okay, so you can kind of imagine how Timsik, and again, there's vowels in there that I'm leaving out. So Damask comes, gets to Damascus. Um, okay. But I'm not fluent in higher. The, here we go again. I can't say the word. I'm not familiar uh, enough with Egyptian and pictograms okay. that I'm not going to pronounce. Um, but I can tell you there's like tree bird hill. I know the one for hill because mm. it's the word for Jerusalem has a hill in it. But I can't give you okay. the etymology there. It's just from the Egyptian. Okay. Well, and uh, do they then associate this with the Damascus from the epistles? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. the Syrian Damascus. Okay. Um, Egypt held that as one of their city-states that they had in their hand um, up until the Sea Peoples arrived. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, interesting that it's such a, I feel like, important city name in... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the biblical texts. The biblical texts and in, in Christian religion specifically because of Paul to not have a translation of it. <laughs> yeah, well, if I'll just brush up on my hieroglyphs. I can't say it real fast uh, and let you know. All right. Okay. Uh, anything else in this section before I move to... Hieroglyphs. 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 <laughs> just pretend like you say it's right. And... Oh, boy. <clears throat> Run with it. Okay. Yeah. Anything else in this section? Um can talk a little bit about Dan comes from Dean, and I translated that okay. as subjugating de- judgment because specifically it's like putting something back in its place. So in the teachings on the different kinds of judgment between Mishpat, um, which is also in this section, right? Because they stop, they go until the fountain. Yeah. 
They go into the, I guess, the, is that the next section or did we miss it? Um, I, it says he pursued until Dan in this section. So earlier it says they came to the eye of legal judgment, which is probably some kind of fountain because we talked about the link between eye oh, and yeah, fountain. You, yeah, uh-huh. Um, legal judgment is the word mishpat, and that's more restorative justice where you are the judge who's sitting in the city gate or if you're a debra under a tree and you're doling out, you know, two shepherds come to you and they're like, I think the sheep is mine. No, I think it's mine. And you find an equitable solution for them. Dean is more of you have strayed friend and you're going to be put back in your place right now. Um, and so that putting back underneath part of the word is why I'm going with subjugative judgment. Okay. Um, anything else? I don't think so. Yeah. Interesting that we have Dan here as kind of a precursor to the tribe of Dan. Right. Um, I think it's evidence that this story is being told a lot later than it happened because we have like Amalek is one of the children of Esau and Esau hasn't been born yet. <laughs> Just talking about the Amalekites. Mm. And then um, also Dan hasn't been born yet. And they're talking about Dan. So I think the authors are coming from a time when Dan does exist and so the tribe. And they're just marker. right. Exactly. Right. The people right. who are from the area where the Amalekites live. Right. And that would make sense. You know, if you're trying to, uh, you know, tell people about, you know, a, a story about a location. Right. So right. You, yeah. So you would use names that they're familiar with so that they could understand what you were saying. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so the last section, which starts in verse 17 and goes to the end. So we have in this section Melchizedek appear. Right, Melchizedek. Um, yes, and um, super interesting character, comes out of nowhere. And I thought this description you have here was interesting. He was an opulent delegate to God above. Absolutely. So I'm going to take some issue with our translation of priest in general. Okay. So the word in Hebrew is Kohen, which is why there's a bunch of people with the last name Kohen running around, um, if you didn't know. The word's Kohen, and we get the word priest from Latin, um, which is working with the word presbyteros, which means old or elder, which is what we're using in the Pauline epistles to talk about the church government. Okay. So it's taking this Greek to Latin church government word and dragging it all the way back to Tanakh and ignoring the role that Tanakh actually is using with this word Kohen. So um, super fascinating. Kohen in Arabic is a predictor, a soothsayer, like a divinator. Hmm. Super interesting. Um, Syriac adds the rich, opulent part. So when I translate it later, I don't think I'll put that in there, but it's definitely part of being a priest. You have this higher up class um, and the prophecy part has to do with or the prophecy the way that we think of it which isn't biblical telling the future part has to do with being a delegate right you're describing something to the common people that God has revealed to you however it specifically has to do with someone who is laboring on behalf of a deity 
Um, so that's what they're doing. They're representing abundance with their opulence, right? But then they are being a delegate on, they're speaking on behalf of a deity or they're working on behalf of a deity. Okay. So that's why I went with um, delegate because priest just means old person. So not super helpful in my opinion and also drags all of our ideas about priests and Catholicism and all those images into the picture. Hmm. Um, when we should have the cultural image of soothsayer and, you know, person reading the clouds for signs uh, in the picture. And then I also want to talk about God above because it's El Alion. Okay, yeah. And usually that's translated highest, which I think is a little bit generous um, because it gets used for stuff like an upper room. You know, it gets used for upper all the time. Um, not okay. necessarily highest, but we're just going for the you know, going for the touchdown, I guess, with our translation. Um, so I prefer the more general above. Um, usually if you're going to say something is the most high, it has a whole different construction. Um, it's like not wrong to say the most high necessarily. You could make a case for it, but I think it's more general, uh, upper or above. Okay. Interesting. Well, I read a, some interesting midrash on who is Melchizedek. Right. Just strolling out of nowhere. Just strolling out of nowhere, uh, which I thought I'd share because uh, it's, it's fun. Um, Excellent. And uh, so, spoiler alert, they say that Melchizedek is uh, Shem, the son of Noah. Uh, interesting. Which is interesting. Here's what they say. Um, he is... Fearful refers to Avraham, and that's kind of a reference to the beginning of the next chapter. But uh, for he was told, fear not. Whom did Avraham fear? He was afraid of Shem, the son of Noah, for he had slain the descendant of Elam, and Elam was one of Shem's sons. As it is written, the son, the sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, etc. Mm. So uh, Avraham had killed one of his sons in this right. battle. And then was afraid because of vengeance from Shem. He said to himself, I have slain the son of this righteous man. Now he will curse me and I shall die. The Holy One, blessed be he, replied, Fear not, for not only will he not curse you, but he will go forth to meet you bearing gifts and will bless you, as it is said. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be God, the Most High, who has delivered his enemies into thy hand. Um... And so I thought that was interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, Shem is supposed to be, you know, it says that this other brothers of uh, Shem would dwell under his tent, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and so they kind of relate this idea of the tent being connected to tabernacle. And that's um, part of why he's a priest mm. of the most high God. Um, interesting, right? Why he would know about And God why he above. would know about God, yeah. I also like it because it gives a cooler, like it gives more weight to the character when we're told to be, or Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. When someone has wounded you and taken mm. your son, mm -hmm. you still go out and you bless them. Yeah, that's super good. Um, I went back to knelt and blessed him just for you, George. I did catch that. You're welcome. Yes. Folded it back on in. And I do like it. I think it works really well. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was mysterious. I mean, you can tell from context, but it says he gave him from a tenth of everything. I, and that's where we get tithing from, right? But I think it's super interesting that you can't tell when it's he gave him who's who's doing the giving. Um, 
like is it Avram giving to Melchizedek or is it Melchizedek giving to Avram? But then Avram is like, I'm not taking any of your stuff. So it becomes yeah. clear which direction it was going. Uh, but I always love when there's those ambiguities to play with our presuppositions. Right. Well, and I think it's also interesting that then it says uh, that God is the purchaser of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, there's not really an explanation as to why he says that. Well, last week we talked about purchased things, right? And we connected it to Cain. Right. So I think this is all a story about purchased things and the desire for purchased things going amok. And b- hmm. between Avram and Lot, it's a smaller level conflict. Okay. But that was still sad because they couldn't unite their families in their quasi-wedding. So here with Kedar Omer and these other eight kings, it's, you know, conquest the spirit of conquest yeah. has to come from trying to desire more possessions. Well, that's super interesting because we're going to see that again with uh, Jacob. Right. Uh, it's going to be well. a continual thing. Yeah. Uh, arguing with Laban, which, you know, again, connected to Lot. Right. Um, and so. here, both Melchizedek and Avram confess God as being the purchaser of heaven and earth. Like, look, God owns everything. Right. So we should stop and he can give it to whoever he wants. Right. Whomever. Um yeah, and the and the fact that he's concerned about people saying that he has enriched Avram is interesting. It is interesting. He's guarding that promise that God's going to deliver it into his hand. Right. It's very instructive. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I have. Oh, man. There's one more crazy thing, George. Okay. The king of Sodom says to Avram, give the soul to me. What's that? Uh, you know what? I do have that. I just read my questions just played in the wrong order. so much Dark Souls 3. Okay, so what's the soul is the question, which this is mysterious. Like when Avram, um, this happened before in Genesis 12, I think, where it says Avram took Sarai's woman and Lot, the son of his brother, and all the acquisitions they had acquired and the soul that they had made in Haran. Oh, right. Yeah interesting so whatever that soul was potentially maybe we're building our own midrash here so apologies for potential heresy but king of sodom literally says give the soul to me he doesn't say give all your servants to me he doesn't say give me your people or your brothers he says the singular soul right and we usually do see this translated as people which so, is weird because there's a word for people and that's not it. Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, from a translation standpoint, it's probably just trying to figure out what are we doing. Doing your this? best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get a yeah. certificate of participation right. on that one. Yeah. But interesting. Uh, uh, interesting that you connected back to Genesis that 12 story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Melchizedek would have to know what Avram has in order to ask for it. Right. Right. So fascinating Doesn't yeah to do with that yeah i'm ready to create an excellent very thorough midrash with fantastical elements to explain it but okay i don't know that that would be helpful to the body of christ so leave it for another week okay all right we will leave that for next week <laughs> at least Oh, and conveniently, next week, um, George and I will be on vacation, so it'll be a week off of the podcast. So sad. Uh, But we will be back with chapter 15 in two weeks. Okay. Well, that's uh, it, I think, if you don't have anything else. Nope. 
Alrighty. Well, thank you all for joining us. This has been the Text in Us podcast, and we hope that you will join us again in two weeks uh, when we discuss uh, Genesis chapter 15. Ta-da! Can uh, email me your questions in the meantime to lgriverfricks at gmail.com. Thank you.